0: Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast.
1: Here's your host. This is another How We Solve episode. Today, we're talking about mental health in the workplace and I have a good friend of mine on the show. I'm very grateful that he's joining us to talk about this. We're talking about bipolar disorder. Let me bring in my brother from another mother, Mr. <laughs> Justin Dorfman.
0: Hello, David. Good to have you, man. Great to be here. Thank you.
1: To give you a little background, Justin worked with me at Max CDN, and it was a blast. I really love working with him. Really misses actually. But now he's working with another friend of ours. He is Reblaze's open-source program manager, and he's responsible for fostering the adoption of their project CurryFence in the cloud-native space. In 2017, Justin co-founded Sustain OSS, which hosts events and podcasts for the open-source software sustainers. Justin's super passionate about open-source. Just a little. Just a little. You could say you're manic when it comes to open-source.
0: That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But today we're talking about bipolar disorder. So maybe you want to tell us what this is and what your experience has been with this, especially when it comes to the workplace.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So first time I I noticed I had bipolar disorder was after a really bad depression I had. I've always been eccentric, not antisocial, but on the brink of antisocial. And then one summer when I was 18, I was like, Mr. Social and more confidence than I've ever had in ever. And after the summer was gone, I went into a deep depression. And that's when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder because they said, okay, if he's not really known to be hyper.
1: (laughs) That's outgoing?
0: Outgoing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's now depressed. We believe, and there's there's also my dad said there was family history of it. So that's when I was diagnosed, and from there, like I was always like, well, yeah, maybe I have it, but the rules don't apply to me. I'll just do what I want to do, and yeah, I mean that just kind of caught up with me big time. And I think the one thing that really sucked during my tenure at MaxCVN was the nine months that I had to take off, and it was after ozcon 2014 and i came back and i was like out of control i saw people's faces when i was talking to them because i was talking like a million miles an hour that they were like lost and you went and drove me to my parents house because i was just too disruptive with everything so i would actually like to
1: hear like your thoughts You've always been very open about that you're dealing with this and initially when you came over from first at Maxi and you were in in support and then you came over to marketing. I think like also while being in support, you also went through a depressed period. Yeah. And then you came over to marketing and I don't know, if this gave you a boost or whatever, because you kinda really found what you're calling is, I guess, or what you're really good at, what you're thriving at. You said multiple times, I can't believe I get paid for doing what what I'm doing, because you've been really thriving at this you've been open about having the ups and downs, and you didn't have a down after this, but you've been working like insane hours. You've not taken any time off. We had to add a policy to our vacation (laughs) policy that you have to take vacation because you're like the most extreme offender of this. Yeah, looking back at it
0: now, like when I would look at someone leaving the office like at six or wasn't coming in on the weekends, I was just like, how can they not be into this? What is going on? You know, like Sean, was the only one there, our sales guy. And, you know, I look back at it now and I'm like, ay, 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 But that's all part of growing up. You just look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But you're so right about the vacation thing. So,
1: Yeah, so you've been just working like a crazy person, literally. To some degree, actually, you being on a high or like close to being manic, you had like really amazing ideas and your execution was like so fast and so spot on and so flawless. To some degree, it was really good for business. But there's some things where I could tell that you were just like too out there. I think you, you sent an email to Chris and I (laughs) suggesting that the only way forward is that you become CEO. CEO of Maxidian Labs. Really? I thought it was Maxidian. No.
0: If I remember, no, no, I didn't want to be what was Labs. Yeah, I wanted to be the Labs. Oh, I wanted Bootstrap CDN to be the flagship of Labs. I had this whole like plan. I emailed you. I was like, I need a personal trainer, and I need this and that. And I just remember after getting healthy again, I was like, please delete that email. And I remember sending it because I was like, I'm so gonna get this. But no, let's be very clear. I want Nexidian Labs to be like the open source dream machine where all other companies would be like wow they're doing so amazing in their labs.
1: I think we also did pretty amazing in our labs and Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. Just the whole email being so out there, maybe something's not right the thing where I realized that, you know, when also brought you to your parents was when you about to rent like this crazy penthouse apartment in downtown Los Angeles, the base cost was like your monthly salary or something like this. So I was like, okay, dude, we're at the point where it's not healthy for you anymore. And then, you know, I jumped in and brought you to your parents too. And then you went to therapy. Yeah. The thing that
0: you were describing earlier with the great ideas and execution. That's hypomania. That's before mania if you don't catch it in time. You're just basically riding very close to the line between (laughs) mania and not mania. So hypomania would just be in the middle. And it's amazing. You've seen it firsthand. It is superpowers. I can do whatever I put my mind to. And I think a lot of great things came from it but at the same time it comes with a cost and the cost is you're going to be depressed there's just no if ands or buts it's just you can't just stay at hypomania or mania forever because what goes up comes down and that was for a while before i really took care of my issue the depression sucks but that hypomania i can get so much done and maybe this time i won't be so depressed and it just never worked out that way and that's where i was going back from my original stance of it doesn't apply to me i might have this label i might be they might call me bipolar but i don't fit that mold I can drink, I can smoke pot, I can work 12 hours a day, weekends, and that's what I'll do. And it just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. The acute mania for four months straight was the end. After my depression, after that, I was like, I need to take this seriously. So no more drinking, no more hanging around people that were in that scene, marijuana and all that other stuff. Molly. I should not be doing drugs or alcohol. Everything the medication's doing is it's just canceling it out. So, I finally just said I got to like get someone to keep me accountable in the therapist, which I've done therapy before, but I always lied and just told them what they wanted to hear. Whereas this therapist, I just put it all out on the table. And she has a direct connection to my psychiatrist. So if I'm starting to go hypomania, she'll go straight to him and be like, hey, you need to up Justin's meds because he's in denial. And that's the thing with hypomania. like You can be in denial about it because you don't want it to go away. Your mind tricks you like, hey, no, if anyone says you're hypomanic, don't listen to them. Don't worry, bro. We got this. That's how it is. And it's, And you know, it's going to end bad, but you're just like, but I haven't had an episode in seven years because I've been sober. I've been going to therapy once a week and I'd rather spend that money on something else and some investments and stuff. But at the same time, I'm investing in myself for not losing nine months of my life again. I'm lucky that you and Chris stuck with me and my mom and dad, my parents were just like, any other company, you would have been gone. And I totally agree. And the fact that I had a much of an impact at MaxCDN for you to put up with my shit for nine months, I was so appreciative after. With that said, that chance that was given to me, I really took it seriously. And I said, I cannot do this to them or my family or my friends. Friends would go up to me and be like, dude, you were talking to me over the, over the summer and I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: You were talking a billion miles an hour. I was like, I'm sorry. I don't like to hear that. I guess the method of dealing with it is simple. Like don't self-medicate. Right. Go to your therapist. Don't skip any sessions. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. And it's good. It sounds simple,
0: but... Yeah, you just have to do the work. And the bottom line is you have to want it. If you're doing it for someone else, then that's stupid. You got to do it for yourself. I think what you said is absolutely 100% important. Do not self-medicate. If your doctor gives you 200 milligrams of Zoloft, don't cut it in half so you can save money. I used to do that like, oh, I'll just cut my stuff in half because it goes longer. You know, it goes like two months so I can just save $25. That $25 cost me $20,000 in frivolous spending and all this other stuff. But that's besides the point. If your doctor's giving you a prescription, he or she is doing that because they know what they're doing. They went to school for 10 years and undermining them and lying to them just because you want to get away with something. its just I look back at what I did and it was just like, why did I do that to myself? But at the same time, I didn't know. I was arrogant. I was ignorant, arrogant, and just did not want to accept that I was sick and I am always going to be sick, but I can take care of it by doing what we said, the medication, the sobriety, everything else. So that's the key is just do not self-medicate, go to therapy, stay sober. And I know it sucks. In the beginning, Like I was like, oh my God, why can't I just drink? And And then as a month went by, six months, Now it's like I have nightmares of me taking a drink, getting drunk. I wake up, I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I I don't want to lose all that. But also, it's just not good for me. One thing that you said that was so powerful, I remember when I I came back, I was better, but I was still kind of humbled. I'm not super bad. I told you, I was like, my career is over. There's no way I'm going to be able to recover from this. And you're like, You're going to look back at this, it's going to be a blip on the map. And at the time, I was just like, oh, he's just being nice. That's really cool. He's being nice. But now I look back at it, that nine months, I don't even remember it. It was such a small thing that happened. And that's what I think a lot of people or some people that are listening to this is to know that just because you have some type of episode and you lose money and you lose friends and you lose all these other things, your job possibly it's not the end of the world. When you look back, if you keep going and you stay persistent and you keep going, you'll look back at it and say, oh yeah, I remember that, but whatever. It wasn't even that big a deal, even though it was a huge deal. But from what I've accomplished since then, it's more than I would ever have been able to do with that mindset of drinking and all that other stuff. So time is, heals everything.
1: And again, virtual high five that seven years already, holy cow, it's so cool sticking to your guns and that it's working. I'm curious from a manager or entrepreneur point of view, you know, kind of managing somebody who's dealing with bipolar disorder. What were the things that I've been doing that were helping you dealing with things, managing you properly? Or what was the stuff that sucked? If you could give somebody who's managing somebody who has bipolar disorder, what tips can you give them? One tip that I could see, like once you see that it's about doing things that are hurting them potentially, kind of like renting somebody that's way too expensive, right? pull the plug.
0: Well, just like with any person, even with bipolar disorder, there's two types. There's bipolar one and bipolar two, and they they work a little differently. I have bipolar one and I have a really good family and I have a solid support system. So I'm not going to like go and pretend like I did this all on my own and just because I'm here and talking about something that happened that was horrible and I overcame it, it's because I had a lot of help. I would say most bipolar people are very creative, and if they're taking their medication and everything else, you wouldn't even know. All bipolar people have like a broken leg, but you can't see the cast. People would go like, well, I don't understand. Why don't you just snap out of it? And I'm just like, Well, break both of your legs and go run a mile. And when you're unable to do that, I'll tell you just to snap out of it. It's the same deal. So it's really difficult to understand that, but knowing that if they have bipolar disorder, to know that they are creative and they do produce, but there is a catch with that sometimes for the people that might be overproducing, just know that there is a possible downfall and that is severe burnout and possibly missing work and really, I guess, depends on the liability that you want to have. Just be patient. I guess that's the biggest thing. And if it's not working out and it's dragging down the other teams, then you have to do what you have to do, what's best for your business. But just know that Everything that someone going through an episode, it's temporary. And certain people recover faster than others. And it's really up to you and your business partners to just decide hey, is this a liability? Is this something that we want to handle? Or do we want to just let them go? And it sucks, but it is what it is. And I really just think it depends on the person. I don't think there's like a one answer.
1: One question is, how do you find out that you're dealing with bipolar disorder or manic depression? And can you self-diagnose, when should you go to a doctor?
0: You're probably never going to go to a doctor when you're manic because you just feel too good. Or if someone sends you to a hospital, like a 5150, where they hold you for three days in the United States. I don't know how it is in other countries. But if you're feeling really, really bad and you're thinking about hurting yourself you shouldn't feel ashamed to be like, okay, I need help. And I know it can be hard because who the hell wants to admit that they want to end it? It's just not something you want to talk about because it's just the pain is so great. And it's weird because it's not like physical. It's obviously a mental thing, but it's just so painful. I really can't explain it, but it's just like constant. Your mind's either like, okay, you need to go to a doctor, or okay, you need to hurt yourself, and that's kind of depends on really the person. And I think a lot of us were conditioned as humans to not want to die, so I think most of us will make that choice and go, hey, you know, I do like my life, I just don't like what's happening right now. I just need to talk to someone, and there's many resources out there online. In the United States, there's one eight hundred suicide, I believe, and 911, you can call 911 and say, I need to talk to someone. But there's so many resources out there that can help you with a crisis that you're going through. And again, it's not fun, for me at least, it's not fun to ask for help. I feel like I failed. And I know it's easy to be like, well, you shouldn't feel like that, obviously. But when you're in that mindset, just feel so vulnerable to just being looked at as weak. And I think, especially when you're trying to advance in your career, you don't want that. You don't want that stigma. You don't want that label like, oh, Justin's bipolar. Justin's depressed. We can't count on him to finish this. That's why I think a lot of people might... Holding
1: back and not sharing. Exactly. Especially in the workplace, not coming out to... Sharing this, which is, I guess, absolutely makes it even worse. That's a question like, how do you deal with the stigma? You worked at other places before, like I know because you just shared how we handled it, and Maxian very supportive. But have you had, or do you know from others who are going through depression where the stigma has actually hurt them in the workplace? From what I gather, is of course you feel bad about it, you feel ashamed, you feel like you're failing or whatever. Yeah, but the better step to ask for help is people will be most likely supportive, especially, you know, it's like mental health is a big issue or a big talked about issue these days. And I guess from an employer standpoint, it's always better when you just at least know what's going on so you can help this person to tackle the problem versus like, oh, he's just like not performing. He's not coming in. He's calling and sick all the time, kind of being depressed and not producing. And you're in the dark on like what's going on and you don't even have a lever to help.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in the beginning, like that's why i had that whole mindset of the rules don't apply to me so it was me being a chameleon and saying i can drink with the guys at work because i'm going to be one of them i'm not going to like show that i'm i can't hang you know and i think that's probably one of the great things that's been happening is this whole drinking culture at work going away and becoming more and more looked down upon because there are a lot of people with mental health disorders and alcohol is a depressant. So with that said, that stigma of not being able to drink or not wanting to drink, it just kind of goes away. With mental health, it's getting a lot easier to come out and say like, hey, I'm X. It just doesn't even end with mental health. I think, more and more acceptance for any issues or non-issues that you have. I just remember like 10 years ago or so, I did something where I was like talking about bipolar disorder, mental health online, and my mom's like, you probably shouldn't do that. And at the time, I was like, she's kind of right. A recruiter could look at this. But now it's like everyone's encouraged to talk about mental health. So, okay, at least in the United States. I'm not sure about other countries, but for me, it's just each year it's been easier and easier to discuss what is going on or what I've been through because there's probably others that are going through the same thing and they're scared. They don't want their bosses to know like they have a mental health issue and they don't want to be stigmatized, passed for promotion, you know, all these other things. And The thing is, it's like if you take care of yourself and you go to therapy and you stay sober, you can be normal and take your medication, take your medication every day. Don't skip your medication. Never, ever, ever. You can be normal. You can be like everyone else where you don't even need to say you're bipolar because you're doing everything.
1: Seven years straight, right? No blips.
0: Yeah. And then that took me growing up as well. If you told me I'd had to do this at 21, I'd be like, hell no, you know, I'm going to the bar. But I got to a point when I got older, I was like, do I really want to do this every three years? It was like every three years I would have an episode. I was sick of it. I'm not ashamed of who I am, but I still need to do what's best for me. And I can still go on podcasts or have open conversations with people at work about mental health because I don't want anyone to feel like they have to hold back. They don't want someone to stay at work and perform poorly because they're scared they're going to lose their job or something like that. What does that do? Who does that
1: benefit? Love, not fear. Love, not fear. Yes. To wrap up, don't hold back. Be transparent about this. Go to see a therapist, see a doctor, don't seek medication.
0: Yeah, I think one thing about therapy is there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, if you go to therapy, you're weak. And it's like total eye roll. You don't know what you're talking about. Maybe that's the case for you. You're insecure and stuff like that. But if you're bipolar and you don't have someone that's checking you to see where you're at, you can easily, especially with bipolar disorder, your mind can trick you to say, you're not manic. You're not hypomanic. You're fine. And if you're not having someone who's going to be objective, and they're not your friend, they're your therapist. They're going to tell you what's up. That's their job. So you can be like, oh, well, I can count on my friends and family to do that. No. They can tell you everything you want, but you got to have someone that is objective and not going to buy your bullshit. They're just going to be there and say, nope, not going to happen. I'm calling your doctor.
1: To some degree it's like a coach. You know, every top athlete has a coach. Otherwise they will not reach these heights of performance.
0: Yep. That's a really good point. I never even thought about that. Yeah. My therapist is my coach for sure. She finds these patterns, these constant patterns that I do every like six months or so, and she'll address them immediately, like, hey, you're doing this again. What's going on? And I go, Oh wow, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Not that it makes things all simplified or anything, like, it's still work. But I really do believe that if you're bipolar, you need to have someone other than friends and family to watch you and monitor your thinking because your mind can trick you to do things that you wouldn't do if you're healthy.
1: Well, dear Justin, thank you very much for being so open and sharing and to get this out there to help people who are going through the same thing. Do you have anything else you want to share, you want to pitch? You
0: could find me on Twitter at jdorfman, J-D-O-R-F as in Frank, M-A-N, or justindorfman.com. I'm also working on an open source project called carryfence.io. Check that out. That's pretty
1: much it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person in a month or so. In a month, yeah. Awesome.
0: Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.